Welcome to Generation Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year because we're all hanging out together. The kids are dancing, I'm dancing, the 80-year-olds are dancing. It's the best thing. Thank you, Zay. Hey, so I get the privilege of, oh wow, you think I'm this short? Should I just like? (laughs) I get the privilege of pastoring the kids here at Parkway. Um, I tell them all of the time, not to tell you guys, but they are my favorite people, not only because they're short, but also because they're the funnest. And I love about kids the fact that they are filled with wonder about everything. Like, I could tell them that, well, it's a random fact that I could tell them. I could tell them that, like, the fact that God thinks about them and his thoughts about him are more than the stars in the sky. And then be like, what? That's crazy. And it's just so fun because kids, they see everything, everything through these eyes of, like, the first time ever. If you are parents, can you guys raise your hand if you, when you remember your kids walking for the first time? Yeah? See, it's like those moments, but to the kids that it's just like, it blows them away every single time. Okay, so here's the thing. Kylie and I, a few years ago, we, I remember Pastor Dennis had asked us to preach on stage, and Kylie and I started praying about what we should preach on, and the Holy Spirit started downloading this uh, just heart for wanting to see generations represented at our church. And it's so beautiful because even through the last few years, it's so cool to see how God has, is bringing more and more generations to our church and just seeing the unity uh, that that brings. But here's the thing. God's not done with our church. He's actually going to be uniting us even more, bringing more generations. I, okay, I have to tell you just like a little, give you a little bit of background about myself. So my parents are pastors. I'm a PK, had a hard life. I'm just kidding, I didn't, it was, it was fine. I just had to wake up super early on Sundays, and then most of the time I didn't have breakfast, but then this guy at our church would feed me bagels, so it was good. But you have to understand that I come from a background in a small church where there was a vast majority of ages and, ge- and different generations represented. I got to go to my parents' church, of course, but then my grandparents would go to church too, and I remember being down at the altar and praying, and my grandma, my grandpa coming over me, and they would just declare, like, who they saw me in the heavenlies. They would, like, speak prophetic words over me. And um, I also, when I was uh, younger, too, I went to this Christian school, and it was K through 12th grade. And the kids, like, I was just surrounded by kids of all different ages, right? Because I, I was in, like, junior high, high school. So I went to school with my little cousins, and it was so fun because I would hang out with my friends, and then some of my breaks, I would go, and I would hang out with my little cousins, and, like, we would play basketball and do all the sports and stuff. It was just so fun because there were so many different ages represented. So I just wanted you to understand a little bit this morning that I feel like what the Holy Spirit is depositing this morning It's something that I've seen and I've experienced in my life through my parents, through my my grandparents, through the the school culture that I was a part of. And the Holy Spirit, he wants to deposit that this morning into our church, uh, where our church is not just going to be, we're not just going to have a bunch of five-year-olds, 80-year-olds, in-betweens. No, our church is going to be a church that has a vast variety of generations. And not only that, 
Our church is going to be a church where the generations, we have an extraordinary, radical love for each other. I'm serious. Here's the thing. Church is known for a lot of things. Love between the generations isn't always one of those things. But our church is going to be a church where we radically love each other. Here's the question, though. Is the most challenging question. A lot of times we're like, yeah, great, love each other. Woo, let's do it, yeah. And then we stop because we don't know what to do, how to get, how to get there. But we're going to explore John 13 a little bit this morning and some things that Jesus says to us about love. So you guys can open your Bibles, your phones. If you haven't memorized, that's cool too, but I don't, even though I'm a pastor. John 13, and we're going to start in verse 31. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay. Jesus, he looks at his disciples. And these guys, I mean, there were a lot of them were fishermen. We got some tax collectors, a lot of different you know, people, people groups, things going on there. There's already a lot of tension probably between the group. But Jesus, he looks at these disciples and he says, hey, I'm giving you a command. I want you to love each other. But here's the thing, is this command actually was not a new one, right? Jesus is like, hey, love, love each other. The Old Testament talks a lot about loving your neighbor. But the thing that makes this command to love different is the fact that Jesus says to love just as Jesus had loved them. Which is crazy because Jesus loved in pretty radical ways. And we're going to explore one of those right now. I actually need a volunteer. So, wow, Jason, that was fast. You know what I'm going to do? Okay. Okay. It's, you have to like, okay, maybe not like, but you can't have like feet phobish. Because I'm going to be touching your feet. So if you do not like your feet touched, please do not raise your hand. Because that's going to happen. So someone raise your hand. Who is that in the way? Is that Elias? Elias, come down here. Give him a round of applause. Sorry, Elias. I apologize in advance what's about to happen. But it's going to be great. Where's he at? Oh, he's coming. Okay. So Jesus, if we kind of rewind in the story of John 13, yeah, Elias, you came, woo. You can just stand up here. If we rewind in John chapter 13, we see this beautiful story, or maybe not so beautiful, of Jesus bending down. Um, can you take off your shoes for me, please? That'd be amazing. Jesus bending down and washing his disciples' feet. Okay, you're going to take off your socks, too, unless you want them, like... (laughs) 
He said, why is this happening? You volunteered for this, Elias? This is your moment. So Jesus, he bends down and he washes his disciples' feet. Here's the thing, though. The disciples' feet were very, okay, this is, this is not really a Gen Z word. This is like probably millennial, grody. Their feet were very grody, which just means gross. They wore sandals, so they walked around a lot, and their feet were just, dis I already got chocolate on my hand. <laughs> their feet were so gross and so disgusting. So to represent that this morning, instead of putting dirt on your feet, I'm putting chocolate. It's better, right? Okay, let's just... Let's just, you know, squirt some chocolate on here. Is it cold? He says it's cold. Okay, we're just gonna. Elias, show them your feet. They look great. <laughs> so John 13, it says that Jesus, he bent down and he washed his disciples' feet. Hey, look at it, it's cleaning up pretty fast. I apologize if your feet are sticky for like the next day. Just go home and take a bath. It'll be fine. All right, give Elias a round of applause. And the thing that is incredibly extraordinary about what Jesus had just done is that Jesus, wait, this is gonna bother me, it's literally sticky. Jesus, him bending down in the dirt, washing his disciples' feet, was a sign of being a servant. Because in those days, the servants were the only ones who washed each other, or washed the other people's feet, their master's feet. And so by Jesus bending down in the, bending down to wash his disciples' feet, he was saying, that I love you enough to serve you, to do what a servant would do and to wash your feet. Okay, this is gonna get even crazier though. Jesus, he didn't just love his disciples by washing their feet. We all know that Jesus eventually, he went to the cross and he died for us, right? Jesus' love is so big and so strong for us that he gave up his life for us. And guess what? I know this is crazy, and we don't talk a lot about it, but Jesus, his love that he calls us to is not just to take on the form of a servant, but the love that Jesus calls us to is to actually lay our lives down for one another. There's this verse, I can't remember which chapter is um, in the Bible, but it talks about how no greater love than this than a man, or no greater love has a friend than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. And that's the love that Jesus is calling our church to this morning. Church is not just a love that bends on the ground and washes each other's feet, even though that's gross and kind of awkward and dirty because we have to get in the mud with them. But no, Jesus' love actually takes it a step further and he says you must be willing to lay down your life for one another. And here's the thing too. Even in the face of ridicule, persecution, by the very people Jesus was going to save, he gave up his life. 
I feel like sometimes we say, but I'm just going to love the, like, the people who sit next to me in the pew because they're nice to me. They say hi, give me hugs, say hello. But no, Jesus, he looked at the people who were mocking him, and he said, Father, would you forgive them? And he laid down his life for them. Okay, so what are some hindrances that keep us from this type of love? Maybe some insecurities about ourselves. I know for me sometimes, it can be weird to love extravagantly because people can like, they're like, oh, that's weird. Are they trying to like get something? Like, you know, why are they, do, why are they loving me like this way? And so here's the thing. Sometimes our own insecurities can actually keep us from loving people really well. Maybe it's disqualification. I know a lot of times I'll hear people say like, but I'm an introvert, but I don't wanna, I don't wanna get uncomfortable and go talk to that person. Or maybe it's just I'm comfortable with who I'm around. I don't wanna go and sit with somebody else. Or maybe I don't know what I'm gonna say. Is anyone like feel like you have to like think about it, write it down before you have to speak to someone? That's a real thing. Or, another disqualification, maybe it's you've let your experiences get in the way. Maybe you're, you've just said, hey, like I've been raised a certain way. I grew up that way. I grew up with those songs. I grew up with whatever the thing is. But Jesus is saying, I want you to give that up. I don't want you to let your experiences mold the way that you treat people today. A last hindrance, maybe it's pride. Sometimes we really don't want to get around other people because we don't want to hear a different perspective. It takes time to listen and hear what someone else has to say. Raise your hand if you like talking more than you like listening. I know some people like listening more than, or listening more than talking. Raise your hand if you like listening more than talking. Both are important for a conversation. I'm, you can't just listen and then never say, you can't just like stare at people and be like, and never say anything back, it's gonna freak them out. Okay, all right, this is a very lofty, high thing that Jesus calls us to, but here's the thing, I'm not gonna leave you stranded there. Jesus actually, in chapter four, gives us the answer for how to love people. In chapter 14, we're gonna start in verse number one. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the thing, we're stopping right there just for a second. The disciples must have been super frightened because Jesus had been talking about leaving, right? Like he's just dropping these hints every once in a while. And they're like, Jesus, no, don't leave us. Like these guys were homies. They were hanging out, living together for years. Like imagine being with your best friends, living with them for years. And then all of a sudden they're just starting to like drop hints that they're going to leave. Disciples are freaking out. And he challenges them to love and lay down their lives. Crazy. Okay. We're going to skip a little bit to verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps, keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, 
and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, I love how they just like throw that in there. It's not the one who's gonna betray Jesus, the other one. He said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So Jesus is essentially saying, hey, if you love me and you keep my word, and he points back to that, what he said before, you're going to love these people. You're going you're gonna to take this command that I have given you, and you're going to lay down your life to love. But he says, I'm going to leave, and guess what? You're not going to be like an orphan who's stranded. I'm going to come to you. And we know that when Jesus is referring to, he's going to come to him, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the helper who lives with us today crazy? That's like 2,000 years ago, and right here we're reading that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit, and right now we get to have the Holy Spirit dwelling and living and helping and breathing and moving within us to help us move in love to those around us. Jesus calls you to love in a way that is impossible. I'm not going to lie. This is very, 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 very impossible, but it's impossible for man, but not for God. Because of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need right now to obey and follow Jesus's command to love and lay your life down for each other. I'm going to say that again. Because of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need right now to obey and follow Jesus's command to love and lay your life down for each other. And I'm just going to declare some things over us this morning. To our insecurities, to your insecurities, Jesus says, let me be what you need. Let me give you my strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. To those of us who are disqualifying ourselves because maybe how we were raised or our past, Jesus says to you, I've given you my mind and a new heart. Walk in it. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And I feel like as I was preparing for this sermon, Actually, Leslie and I were having a, a conversation, but this, the Lord just like put this in my head, and I feel like this is something that is, needs to stick out this morning, and it's this. Just because something may be your tendency doesn't mean it has to be your identity. This morning, there's been things in our lives that maybe we've labeled as a condition or personality type or whatever the thing is, and we've made it our identity, and we've said, like, hey, this is the only way that I can be, and I can't change from this. The Lord says this morning, he wants you to let that go, just because it may be your tendency, the way that you naturally move a certain way, doesn't mean that that needs to be your identity. In fact, because the Lord has given you a new mind and a new heart, he is calling you higher. He is calling you to walk and live in love that is beyond normal human living. 
and to our pride getting in the way. Maybe it's, I, don't, I just don't want to listen. I think I'm right. I'm innocent. I'm scared of what the thing Jesus says to you. It's time to come and die. Mark 8, 34, 35 says, Then calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will, say it. You will save it. Um, oh, goodness. I am horrible with names. How do you say this? D, we were talking about the Dietrich? Bonhoeffer. The Bonhoeffer dude. I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to say it. How do you say it? That. <laughs> what they just said. Bonhoeffer. Um, he says it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. What does taking up our cross mean? What does laying down our lives look like? Like if Jesus calls us to this, what does it look like to live a life of love? Here's what it means. It means giving up our right to live how we want. It means letting the word of God speak louder than the traditions of men. It means setting aside our comfort to love even when it's inconvenient. Here's the thing. Jesus, he was innocent. Jesus was in the right. Jesus was the son of God. Yet, he still chose to lay down his rights lay down his comfort to serve and love those who hated him. So I'm going to ask you a very uncomfortable question this morning, and I'm not going to apologize. What does the Holy Spirit want you to let die that's been keeping you from building connection with other generations? Here's the thing. He's bigger than your past. He's bigger than your fears. God has proven his faithfulness time and time again. And I want you, even right now, just to think, because, okay, honestly, one of my downfalls is that I tend to forget very quickly things. Like, you could literally tell me that your favorite color is brown. What? I don't know, brown is a horrible color. Okay, you could tell me that your favorite color is blue. Raise your hand if your favorite color is blue. I'm just curious how many people in the room. Okay, wow, I'm surprised there's more. Okay. You could tell me your favorite color is blue, and five minutes later, I could forget. It's not because I don't love you, not because I don't think you're a great person. It's just my brain does not like to hang on to and, like, remember things. And so this morning, I don't know if you're like me and you forget things very quickly, but this morning, I just want you to even just think in your, in your brain right now about the times that God has shown up in your life. Maybe it's when you came to Jesus. Maybe he provided financially for you. Maybe he gave you courage and confidence to do something that humanly shouldn't be possible. Maybe he gave you obedience to walk and talk up to someone in the store. Whatever the thing is, I just want you to bring that thing to your brain right now. Maybe he saved your life. And just think about that. God has proven himself faithful in our lives. But not only that... God has actually proven himself faithful throughout the generations. Okay, 
We're going to go down. We actually sang the song a little bit earlier today, but it's the, um, the song, Same God. And it talks about all of these different people throughout the Bible who God showed himself faithful through. And we're just going to go through a, a little list right now. Abraham. God is faithful even when he calls you to the unknown. Joseph. God is faithful when you experience rejection. Ruth. God is faithful when you experience loss. Daniel, God is faithful when you experience misunderstanding. The woman at the well, God is faithful to forgive. And Peter, God is faithful to give you the power to speak. There's a ton of different generations represented in this room right now. But here's the truth. Even though there are so many different generations, we all serve the same God, same faithfulness, same power. And you may not see when God calls you to love in a way that is radical and may look really weird to the world. You may not see what's your obedience and how it impacts other generations. But there's this song and that I just love, and, and there's this phrase in it, and it's, it goes like this. It says, there's a yes in our hearts, and it carries through eternity. Simple obedience, it changes history. Your obedience to choose to love, maybe it's just taking someone out for coffee. Like, honestly, it could even be something simple like, like, sometimes I'll be like, Holy Spirit, who are you highlighting today? And then he'll point someone out in the crowd, and I'm like, okay, I don't really talk to them very often, but let's go invite them out for lunch. Whatever the thing is, Holy Spirit is challenging you to love in ways that are outside of your comfort zone. And through your obedience, he's actually going to change and impact and affect generations that you may not even see. I'm going to invite Pastor Chase... Oh, he's right there. I'm going to invite Pastor Chase up to the stage, and he's going to um, just lead us in something kind of fun. Give Pastor Bethany one big round of applause. As you do that as well, if you guys can do me a huge favor, turn to your neighbor and say, love one another. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you were my second choice. Ugh, I don't know. We just divided the room. I don't know if we're loving one another after that statement, but we'll, I'll, I'll try to reel us back in. I love this. This slide, different generations, same God, same power, same faithfulness. Man, when I think about the differences over the course of generations, if you guys can do me a huge favor, shift that thing back as far as we can get it. Make sure I don't want to trip and fall. That would be just a, an awesome start to, this to the ending of this message. I want each and every one of you guys to know that I am the last thing that's standing in between you and your lunch, and so I'm going to try to do my best to get you guys out of here, okay? Uh, but as we get ready to head into this, this illustration this morning, when I think about different generations, I think of a lot of differences. I think of differences in music. We think about songs that were played way back when, when we heard hymns like, It Is Well With My Soul, or What a Friend I Have in Jesus, or Amazing Grace, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. When you hear of those types of songs, and now inside our worship sets, we hear songs like Praise by Elevation Worship. We hear Gratitude by Brandon Lake. The differences, right? We've all, we've all, we're, we know what kind of differences we're talking about this morning. When you hear about interests or hobbies, those of you who might be a little older were ready to, to watch those Saturday cartoons. For some of us earlier, and then a little bit you know, 
younger in age, I won't, I won't say that we're old and young, okay, just younger in age. For some of us, it's not playing on Ataris, it's playing on PlayStation 54s, okay? No, that hasn't actually came out yet. PlayStation 54s aren't a thing for all you older folks. Uh, it, it'll eventually get there, I'm sure. Phrases like groovy or far out or uh, I'll catch you on the flip side or that's flies. Some of our older folk are like, hey, I remember when that, that kind of phrase came out. Now it's, as Pastor Bethany said, what was the one earlier? It was it was. Grody, yeah, I think that 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 one's came around. Uh, shook, one of the one of my favorite ones that cracks me every time is, man, you're goaded. I I don't even know what that means. Still, I'm kind of young and I don't know what that means. Uh, that song slaps. That's that's something that's I guess I, I don't know, but it's crazy the differences. And so we're gonna dive into what is so important about different generations, same God, same power, same faithfulness. But more than all of these kind of differences, I'm reminded of the same God that has shown up in different generations. When you hear of some history lesson this morning I'm gonna give and then we'll, we'll get on to this illustration. When you hear about the first great awakening, these are revival type moments. Jonathan Edwards is well known uh, for his sinners in the hand of an angry God message. It was well crafted, sermons that also included and, and had individuals like John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. We read that even uh, uh, that 6,000 hymns were, 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 were created by Charles Wesley. And, and, and these are the kind of individuals that when you hear of the first great awakening, the second great awakening with Charles Finney, we hear of the, the wonder fiery type of messages that you hear about repentance and those kind of, those kind of revival type of moments in the second great awakening. The third great awakening, D.L. Moody begins a Bible study and that, that is all across, uh, that, that completely shakes up the revi of revival of the third great awakening. And inside this, it was what is known today as established as the Moody Church and Bible Institute and continues to preach all around the country to over 100 million different people. The Azusa Street Revival, these are getting maybe a little closer to some of our grandparents' age. What happens on Azusa Street speaks of what we know as today as the Pentecostal movement. It is built on the holiness movement, which focuses on sanctification. This revival helps integrate the church into a more unified community, and this is where we're tracking this morning. And then you see the 20th century revival. Billy Sunday, a professional baseball player turned preacher is direct and powerful in his gospel message in 1907. And then Billy Graham comes on the scene in, in uh, 1949 with his Los Angeles Crusades. And we hear about these kind of revivals. And the reason why these types of crusades, these types of revivals, these types of movements were able to take place was not because of their differences. It wasn't because of everyone's faults everyone's love for one kind of music or, or specific kind of drip that they were wearing as another slang term is today. It was because they were not focused about their differences, but focused on the same God. See, they were focused on the principle that Pastor Bethany was talking about in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9 this morning. God is love, and you do not love if you do not, you do, you will not be able to love if you do not know God. It is that kind of love that they were all united with. It was that it was that kind of love that made them united. And what I want to get to as we get ready to explain this illustration is there are so many different testimonies all across this building, and I'm not going to be able to do it justice. But as we get ready to head into this moment and the band begins to start coming up right now, if you guys can, the thing that baffles me is how different eras, different timelines, different groups of people who have different interests, hobbies, paths, different ethnicities, backgrounds, jobs can see the same power and the same faithfulness throughout. 
What is synonymous with the stories of Abraham, the stories of Joseph, the stories of Ruth, to the revivals that took place on Azusa Street, to the revivals that, that, that had Billy Graham and others stand up and start a movement. It was those kind of moments. And the reason why I want to give this to you guys this morning is because it wasn't about the different times. It wasn't about the different backgrounds or views politically, the different flavors of music that rose up during that time. No, the different generations, but it was the same faithfulness and the same power and the same God. Amen? It's because even in the differences, we serve that same God. That same God, even in the differences. Same God, different generation. Same God, different views. Same God, different speech. Different ethnicity, different denominations, different backgrounds. But it didn't matter because they were all pointed to the same God. I think you guys are tracking with me this morning. Same God, same faithfulness, same power. How can a young man see the Lord do a miracle and heal what was supposed to be a disease that didn't have a cure it was supposed to last for 10 plus years. All of a sudden the Lord said, you know what? Four years, you're good, Nathaniel. Nathaniel would say that I serve the same God that has that same almighty power. Nathaniel is one of our young adults that are here with us. And he is the kind of individual that, that knows that we serve that same God that has the almighty power because he, that same almighty power has shown up in his life. That same, that same power. If I could have my first three individuals who have those puzzle pieces to start coming up, it's that kind of power, that kind of God that we serve. How can a pastor who has been out of the ministry for some time, and I put out of the ministry in quotes because we're never out of the ministry, who shouldn't have a voice, who's too old, whose ministry is over, who's supposed to take a back seat, how can that individual still be teaching the next generation of young people the word of God every Thursday during our interns Bible college study. Well, I just want you guys to know, I think Pastor Jim Kent would say that I serve the same God who has given me the same calling to pour into and deposit into the next generation of pastors in this room right now. We serve that kind of same God. That kind of same God, yes. How does a woman whose life, who is filled with chaos and turmoil turn to a life that has been restored and full of life? I can, if I can have individuals four through seven come up on stage. There's an individual whose life was just filled of chaos, filled of turmoil, filled of addiction, filled of just a whole bunch of stuff. But I want to tell you guys this morning, I think that Misty would say that she serves the same God that loves to use the enemy's setbacks for his comebacks. Misty is part of our church this morning. It's that same individual. If I can have individuals eight through nine come up. How does a youth student, get this, how does a youth student who just recently, not too long ago, was asking what direction or path he is supposed to take, and a service, in a service much like this, the Lord called one of our youth students to be a pastor. A short time after, a random leader at a youth camp came to confirm that calling during a response time like we're just about to have. Winston Modison would say that the same God through the different generations is still speaking in Jesus' name and using people to confirm callings. We serve that kind of same God. If I can have our last two individuals, 10 through 11, come up. Different generation, doesn't matter. Same God, same faithfulness, same power. So it's time, church. Healings, restoring of marriages, salvations, prayers being answered of prodigal sons and daughters that need to come home. 
get this, we just had a service not too long ago where we had the Holy Spirit moving in, in, in our service that caused for young and old alike to spontaneously be baptized because the Lord showed up and we have that kind of same God. We serve that kind of same God. If I can have everyone stand to your feet this morning. We're getting ready to head into just a short time of altar response and then Pastor Jason's gonna come up and pray us out. There are so many more testimonies we can give this morning. There are so many different other stories and wonderful types of things that we could talk about, talking about God's faithfulness. But the point we wanna make as we conclude this service is that if you wanna see the God of Abraham, the God of Joseph, the God of Ruth, I'm even gonna say is this, the God of Winston, the God of Misty, the God of Nathaniel, the God of you, the, that same God, that same God, love in your differences, love in your similarities, love in your defeats, love in your victories, love the old, love the young, love because we are called to do so. And so as we get ready to step into this altar moment, as the band gets ready to start playing, I want you to be able to all across this room, if you gotta turn around in your pews, if you gotta make your way up to this altar response area, if you wanna be able to stand and, and grab the hand of someone next to you, I want that kind of call that Pastor Bethany gave. It is time for our multi-generational church to start loving like Jesus loved. But in order for us to do that, we gotta be connected and united and know it isn't about our differences, it's not about the difference kind of music or, or playlists that we have or anything like that. No, it's because we serve the same God who has the same faithfulness, who has the same power, who is willing and able to do it again, amen? So all across this room, as the band gets ready to play, Heavenly Father, now, God, we, we strive towards loving others as you love us. And so, Father, all across this room, God, we just spent a few moments. We spent five minutes as we get ready to conclude this, uh, this service this morning, God. We serve the same God, same power, same faithfulness. Let's spend a moment together, church. You are the same God. Oh, you answered prayers back then. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. God, you're providing now. You are the same God.
just want to say to Pastor Chase and Pastor Bethany and Pastor Kylie, thank you for putting a wonderful service together. Would you give them a big round of applause this morning? So incredible. I was reminded of something as I was taking this service in, much like you, of something that the Lord spoke to me several years ago. A legacy that cannot be handed off is not a legacy, it's a lid. I remember the first time that I had the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning. I remember worship was incredible and I was nervous as all get out. And I get to the pulpit and I'm just nervous and shaking and I opened up my binder and I what I had planned for 40 minutes went to like eight minutes because you go really fast. But it was amazing to me, Tim. It was amazing to me, some of them in here. I As I sat behind, stood behind the pulpit, the first thing that I saw when I looked up was couples that I admired. They got up and they left because pastor wasn't speaking. And I remember what happened in that moment of one day when I became a pastor, that I was gonna hand off the pulpit and hand off the stage because listen, a legacy that can't be handed down is not a legacy, it's a lid. And I want to thank you. This pastor wants to thank you as we've sat over the last 30 to 40 minutes and listened to Pastor Bethany and Pastor Chase getting up here and giving this opportunity to respond. I want to personally thank you for being the ones that understand that if this thing doesn't live beyond us, it doesn't live. We're one, one generation away from Christianity going extinct. Ezekiel's generation said, I've looked for a man among them and found no one. Never let it be said of this church, of this valley, that we are not going to encourage the next generation of preachers to stand up. And I want to encourage you. If you sat through today and you were miffed about something that was misspoken or missaid, chill out. You walk up to these young preachers and you speak life over them. You speak blessing over their ministries and their life. Come on, if you're thankful for that, give them a big round of applause. I'm thankful that God is bringing to this church people like Chase and Leanna and Bethany and Zay and Justin and Kylie and DJ and Ashlyn. I'm thankful that God is bringing the next generation of preachers and ministers of the gospel. I'm thankful that we get to steward not what just God wants to do in the today of our ministry, but we get to steward for generations that are to come. God's got great things planned and we're gonna do it together. Look to your neighbor and say, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. God's got some incredible things. You're stuck. This week, go find someone to love in Jesus' name. Let's have a great week. God bless. We'll see you guys later.